electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. $1,200, that's the starting price of the highest end of the newest iPhone. Will customers be ready to pay up? Or will a competing product from China put a damper on demand in a top growth market? Plus, crude reality, rising oil prices expected to cause an uptick in inflation. Will this give the Fed pause? in pausing and what's it all mean for the consumer and later oracle falls from cloud nine regional banks get a bump and why investors are sneezing at the makers of sudafed and dayquil i'm melissa lee coming to you live from studio b at the nasdaq on the desk tonight tim seymour dan nathan guy Damien, our special guests for the hour rebecca patterson former bridgewater chief strategist welcome rebecca and we start off with the countdown to tomorrow's big inflation print economists expecting consumer prices rose six tenths of a percent in august a faster clip than in july the data coming as oil prices hit 10-month highs, WTI closing in on 90 bucks a barrel, the highest it has been since last November. Crude oil now up 40% from its May lows. So how is the Fed dissecting these numbers, and could the uptick in prices put an end to consumer confidence? Rebecca, you brought this up. Um, this could actually cause CPI to look higher. Right. So if consensus is close to reality tomorrow, we're getting the core prices continuing to decelerate. I think the Fed will take comfort in that, even though core at 4.3 percent isn't even close to the Fed's target. So I think a September pause, which is fully priced in, is the most likely outcome. I think the bigger deal here is what's going on with energy and commodities. The Fed tries to look through it. But at the same time, they don't ignore it. What we saw in the New York Fed's Consumer Expectation Survey, which was released today, was that inflation expectations, commodity price expectations, both are going up. At the same time, people's expectations for jobs are going down. So you're getting a consumer that gets very nervous, and this could affect how much the Fed can act, what they should do. So I, I do think they are going to be watching oil, not overreacting to any short-term blip, but definitely it's going to be on their radar screen over the coming months. I think they realize, listen, I can't speak for them. I think they realize it's sort of in a bit of a pickle here. And we've said for months that in the fall, and I think we're pretty much September's in the fall, we're going to start to see a reacceleration of inflation. And numbers you just put up basically back that up. In terms of energy, Tim can speak to this. You stay with the space. It's working. OIH is now at a five-year high. Valero, for example, is within a whisper of an all-time high. All these energy names, valuations are reasonable despite the recent run-ups. And I think people are underestimating, I don't know, sort of the runway and sort of the, the, the I guess, sort of the, the green lights that this entire space seems to have in front of them. So I guess there's two ways we teach two ways to trade, and that is from the prism of the Fed, but also the prism from investors in terms of energy equity. So where do you want to go here? So I'll first just talk about the market and the prism of investors around the Fed, which is I think we've gotten a lot of good news out of better and more benign inflation prints. I think the market's running out of gas on that. I think we've seen it over the last couple prints. Um, I think if you look at where real rates are around 2 percent, uh, that, you know, back to valuations, this is where the equity multiple really starts to hit the road. And, and, and in other words, rubber hits the road. And I think we're probably two to three turns on the S&P 
on the multiple. Energy equities, um, first of all, when we start to hear OPEC is actually starting to increase supply, that's very bullish for oil. Um, and I think we, if you look at where inventories are right now overall, uh, I don't think inventories get a whole lot better in the near term. So I think, and I mentioned this two days ago, some of the data I'm seeing is that inventory levels are back at the lows of 2000. I think oil stays here. I think oil uh, equities uh, are a very different story. They are a investment, not a trade. And I've said that for a long time, just because I think that oil companies are run differently. So I think you, you love this trade, 4.6% uh, of the S&P. I think that index is going higher. And I think it's a place for people to hide out. Yeah, it's interesting. When you talk about the consumer, though, um, and we talk about inflation, I, I think that headline from Walmart last week was really interesting. If you want to put wage inflation. All-time highs that, in Walmart. Today. Well, all-time highs, yeah. But, but interestingly, pendulums seem to have shifted, right? they like, more. Like, right, no, well, well, yes. I mean, like, so, so if we have energy going back up, right, and we have wage inflation that might have topped out, that's some of the readings we have, to the point where Walmart, one of the largest employers in our country, feels like they can now cut starting wages, right? And we know that that sliver of a consumer that is going to work at a Walmart, energy prices moving up the way that they have precipitously is probably not a good scenario for them. And we think about the consumer here. So we could be like literally on the precipice of a bit of a shift. We've been waiting for this consumer to weaken. This might be the moment. Yeah, it feels like we're sort of in this Goldilocks Goldilocks period where it hasn't fully hit the consumer yet. Walmart's CEO just today at a Goldman Sachs retail conference is talking about how the consumer is holding up better than had been expected. And this contrasts to sort of the conservative approach that they were taking in terms of guidance when it came to reporting their earnings back in August. So we're sort of here. The consumer is still employed. They may be feeling worse. They may start be starting to pay more at the pump and, and for all those you know energy-related expenses, but they've still got money at this moment in time. Exactly. There's there's the question, the reality we have today, you know, three and a half percent GDP growth probably in the third quarter, something around that, which is incredibly robust versus sentiment that's deteriorating. Businesses getting more cautious. We saw that in the small business survey this morning. Consumers that are getting more nervous. The question is, when do we go to that tipping point? When do they actually start pulling back? I think commodities are a big, big deal. Food and energy plays an outsized role, especially for the lower income consumer. Those prices stay at these levels or rise further, they're going to start losing that real purchasing power, that real wage gains that have helped earning so much this year. And again, back to those, you know, household disposable income as a percentage of, of their monthly debt servicing, whatever it is. And Dan's bringing it up. I think the point on Walmart should not be underestimated. Walmart, we talk about this in terms of what they do to suppliers. They, they basically dictate price. When Walmart started raising minimum wage, everybody had to start raising minimum wage. It's a great thing for our country. It's a great thing for society. And I hope it doesn't reverse itself. I'll, I'll just say that's a sign that I bet they're not the only one. And that's going to help the Fed and make it a lot harder on the consumer. Yeah. As Tim just said, you know, Walmart making an all-time high. That's great if you own Walmart. The flip side, Target, multi-year low effectively within $2 or so. Dollar Gen, multi-year low. So it's the... the the bifurcation, I hate the word, but it's true, is there. But that doesn't mean things are going really well. That means the last bastion is Walmart, and people are trading down from the dollar gens and the dollar trees and the five belows of the world. It doesn't paint a particularly rosy picture. And the U.S. consumer, we've said this a thousand times in this show, they will spend always, never underestimate their want to spend until they get scared. Yeah. And typically what scares them is something happens in the stock market. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Also, you know, that notion that consumers will spend on their, their pets. Remember we talked about this a little bit? Right. So remember like two weeks ago when Chewy it, it had that really bad report and that bad guidance and, you know, I was probably maybe a little casual about it when it gapped down. I think it was down like 15% or something like that. It was trading very near 50-week, two-week two lows. Um, and I was like, you know, it's probably okay. 
It's not okay. The thing has barely seen an uptick. It, it's basically approaching its What's all-time lows right here. Uh, Tigger? Tigger. Tom. So is, I mean, is Tigger getting no, cut back but, here? But, but the headline today in the journal was yeah. that consumers are starting to trade down for their yeah. pets. You know what I mean? And that was the thing that it was supposed to be recession-proof. So if that's starting to happen before we have the recession, I think there's a lot of stuff that we're talking about that are happening before we've had this recession that continue to get pushed out. Which, by the way, is normal. I mean, if we yeah. look back at history... The actual turn in the economy happens very, very fast. You know, the, the rise in unemployment rate, the rise in jobless claims, it's good until it's not. And so what we're seeing now are all these data points suggesting that we need to get ready for that turn. It's possible we avoid it and we have Goldilocks, but Goldilocks is priced in. Wow. We're so cautious here tonight. How do you, tra- how do you trade, though, today for that turn, which may happen on a dime at some point in the future? Well, we've been waiting for that on the dime for, for so long. And yeah. I think we're seeing bifurcation. We're, we're going to have a chat um, later about maybe the impact on the uh, some of the food companies and whatnot in the more broad space around the weight loss drugs. But I look at Staples, which have underperformed the S&P by 15 percent. And, and, and that's over the last six to nine months. Um, I look at names like Hershey's. I look at names like General Mills, Diageo. Um, these are stories where I think you've already seen uh, the kind of a, of a reaction in the consumer. But we've also seen, I think, the more important part Part of this is companies that had pricing power that had margin power. Um, so this is higher interest rates. This is a world where wages are higher. This is a world where people are cutting back. That's the story. And, and I, I think uh, I think when people are spending more money on their pets for fresh food than than they are for putting a steak on the table, the world's uh, upside down. But, I, you know, I I'm going to get you know thrown under the bus on Twitter now because there's a lot of happy pet people out there. The animal lovers out yeah, there, I'm sure. Yeah. But I'm sure when the choice comes down to it, you choose your family over your Oh, well, I, let's I'll hope so. Hate, uh, there's some hate. strange stuff uh, going on out there. On that too. I want people on the radio. To, I, it's not Guy Adami saying it's Tim Seymour. Yeah. So what? directed at Tim, the, the <laughs> pet hate. I go home and the first question is, did the dogs eat? Not if she swizzle here, Aid. Nobody cares about me. You hardly eat at all. Good point by yeah, you. No, but how do you obvious. listen? You stay with the energy space. It's working. This Walmart outperformance will continue. The underperformance of Target, Dollar Gen, will continue. These trades will continue to work, I think, over the next couple we months. We turn on a dime and oil prices go lower? I don't think they are. You but if they they, go, so I'll play but, the game but, with you. Let's say, let's say things go pear-shaped or however you want to characterize it. The economy softens. We theoretically should see less of a demand right. for oil. That's fair. So we've priced. So think about what we've endured over the last couple months. China slowdown, which has been we talk about it seemingly every day. Oil doesn't seem to care. It's clear that things are slowing down in Europe. Market doesn't seem to care. Things seemingly slowing down a bit here. Oil doesn't seem to care. Dollar's been going higher. Oil doesn't seem to care. So right now, the energy market, the commodity market is telling you something. This might surprise you. I I mean, I think Microsoft and Apple selling off 10% from their highs earlier this summer. I actually think that that's going to be a great setup here. The technicals have broken. I think the excitement around some of the fundamentals got a little ahead of himself when they reported and guided. I think investors acted fairly rationally after a very irrational period on trillions of dollars of market cap in stocks related to AI. And I think that if that continues to come undone before before the market comes undone, before we have the recession, those names will end up, if they're down 20, 25 percent from the highs, end up being defensive again for all the reasons that people love them starting off this year when, when the fear factor was still very high before we knew we were in a rip-roaring bull market. I, I would agree with that point. And I would just add, going back to Guy and energy, that you, the only thing you didn't mention there was supply. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it does feel like the Saudis in particular want to keep a floor under the oil price. So even if demand were to take a step 
step lower in the coming 12 months. There's only so much downside that I think the major OPEC producers are going to allow because they need it for fiscal reasons to be able to afford the projects underway in those countries. I, I, I agree. And again, when they start to let out some more of that supply, it's bullish. It's not bearish. It, it's, it's definitely not a case where you're going to see oil prices pull back. So um, we don't, you know, as someone that's long energy, I don't want to see oil get to 110, 120. That's not necessarily good for oil equities. And, and But when I look back to the OFS, oil field services are now starting to, first of all, look at XLE, look at, look at Exxon, uh, Exxon, which is almost a four-bagger from December of 2020. Um, and, and, and I think some of those integrated names have run uh, not as far as they can go, but I look at oil field services and I say, Schlumberger is now getting pricing power. They have economies of scale. They've actually used technology to be a lot more efficient. And if you look at uh, their pricing power, you're starting to see the drillers have a lot more pricing power and people are drilling for more oil. So I look at the, and look at the chart and it's not a linear, a linear relationship that you should be investing on. There's nothing fundamental about saying, hey, Schlumberger was a $90 stock back in 2016, except for the fact that um, they have an increased share count. Uh, their earnings power, I think, is growing. And some of those numbers actually do make sense when you look at those charts. Coming up, all the details out of Apple's iPhone 15 launch from the charging port to the price tag to the Chinese competitor that could be the real barrier to growth for Apple. All that is next. And it may still be technically summer, but our next guest already is predicting a harsh winter for the office space, while you may want to layer up if you're investing in commercial real estate. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple revealing its iPhone 15 today, just days after Huawei announced its Mate 60. How do the two stack up against each other, and could the Chinese offering really take a bite out of the iPhone? CNBC's Steve Kovac is out in Cupertino with the tail of the tape. We want to hear about the new developments and how it stacks up, Steve. Yeah, Melissa. So let's talk about today what Apple announced with these four new iPhones, just as we expected. Four models of the iPhone 15, two of the regular models, that plus model with the larger screen, and then the pro models on the higher end. That's where Apple puts its most advanced chips and its best cameras. Those are the 15 Pro and 15 Pro Max. Now, it's the 15 Pro Max that's probably the most interesting out of this lineup. It got a $100 price increase over last year's model. Apple putting more technology in that than even uh, the regular iPhone 15 Pro, the smaller version. Better zoom on the camera and also double the storage of what uh, the same model had last year. But look, you mentioned that Mate 60, and we've been talking about China over the last week and a half or so in this story with Apple about uh, the new competitor coming back with these new Chinese-made uh, Huawei phones and this potential ban on government use of iPhones. 
based on what we've seen, reports out of China, the Huawei phone, you know, it sounds like it's uh, pretty capable. It, it looks a lot like the iPhone, in fact, and it operates like the iPhone, but it is not 5G. Now, remember, Huawei kind of went dark in the, in the smartphone space for a couple of years there because of silicon restrictions of what they could bring into China to put this phone together. So while they're bragging that it might have 5G-like speeds, it's not technically a 5G phone. So this is actually going to be a test. Now that there is a new Huawei flagship out there, do the Chinese customers go for the homegrown option or do they take a look at these new iPhones? And look, Apple needs this to be a hit. They have not had top line growth in three consecutive quarters, likely a fourth consecutive quarter. Comparisons are going to get easier in the holiday quarter coming up. But again, competition is coming back in China, Melissa. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac. Uh, and Dan, you had mentioned this before. Steve said that Huawei sort of went dark when it was limited from accessing silicone. Yeah. But it actually gained market share. It almost doubled its market share second quarter 22 to second quarter 2023. Yeah. Um, despite that. And we also have been talking about this since the, the advanced chip bans had, had come in uh, late you know, last year or something like that, that you know, this forces the Chinese chip makers to get better at what they do if they don't think this is going to get better. So you know, we're talking about a phone right here and Huawei obviously is a vertically integrated company also, you know, they're going to get better at all of it, especially if they see a tougher road to hoe is access to our technology. And that doesn't make Apple's life easier, right, in, in the environment that they're playing in. Now, Apple has done very well in China over the last few years. They've gained a lot of market share. I mean, some data will show you the number two or three from where they were five, you know, in 2019. When you remember 2019, they were having a really tough time with China. Right. It was the first uh, disappointing, um, you know, they pre-announced that they had in a very long time. So I, I guess my point is there's nothing here in this phones and this hardware that says they're going to do better in China. And I think the consumer issues that they're going to have there for a whole host of nationalistic reasons, they're not going to bait in a quarter or anything like that. So this stock trading at 27 times next year at about 7, 8 percent expected earnings and sales growth, it just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense when you think about China's growth at 20 percent of their total sales. It probably doesn't get better in the next couple quarters. And that's what J.P. Morgan said, yeah. that this Huawei made 60 is going to halt the gains in Apple market share in, in China. This thing's been flying off the shelves and they want to push this in China and, and they're going to. And, and it, it, it's technologically, it's impressive. It's not a 5G phone, but they've, they've given the same features, essentially the speed in terms of processing data. And that's that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I, I, I I realize that investors wanted to hear about the $100 uh, price raise. In other words, that's important. The ASPs have been an important part of the Apple revenue story. In other words, shipments are, are up 15 percent. Revenues are up 45 percent since 2019. That, I, I get that. At some point, the conversation we just had last block um, applies to Apple. And I think it really does. And I also think that these phones are so good um, and that this camera, look, I just got the 14, you know, two weeks ago. Poor timing. Um, I had no choice. Um, but but, you know, my phone, my, my, my camera's fine. I mean, I, I don't I mean, I don't know, guys, my camera's fine. I don't know. What of course are you it's fine. Over there? You always, let me tell you something. What? You always have a choice. So two things basically you, everything is a choice except for two things. OK. Death and which taxes. Be the inev and taxes. You have to pay taxes. Otherwise, everything else is a choice. So you could have waited a couple weeks. It wasn't going to kill you, number one. Number two, <laughs> if your happiness is predicated on how many megapixels this Apple phone has and you wait online at these events, you're living life the wrong way. And I'm going to say that. Bring on the hatred. In terms of the stock. By the way, folks listening to this on that's radio, guy, that's Guy. That's Guy. That. Not that's Tim. Not Tim was the Pets guy as the <laughs> Apple. 176 and a half. This is basically the all-time high we saw in December of 21. 
very important that we hold here. But this China salvo, that's not going to be the last one. Government workers yeah. first. And then you said it last night, shadow ban for the country. And it's not a positive thing. When you tack on valuation, it doesn't paint a rosy picture. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the geopolitical risk is probably in the price at this point. But I agree, it's not going to get better anytime soon. I mean, we had the House Committee on China, whatever, how we how we compete and contain, et cetera, um, doing a New York tour this week. And they were on your air this morning. They were at the Council on Foreign Relations yesterday. You know, that is one of the few areas of bipartisan agreement in this country that the U.S. needs to prevent China from getting a technological edge. And so China's going to push back. Of course they are. And Apple is one very powerful way to do that. So for them to try to limit how many people in China can use an Apple phone or a device, it wouldn't surprise me if that becomes reality, unfortunately. This is part of the bigger picture, and, and you have to watch what's happening in Washington as Congress yep. comes back. The noise is going to get louder, not quieter, going into the election. Definitely. Uh, for more, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's the managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, so given what you've seen today with the iPhone 15, given what you've seen in terms of features and pricing, is this stock fairly priced, overpriced? What's your assessment? Um, I'm sorry uh, to report, Dan, I think the stock goes higher. And the biggest reason is that what Apple showed today was the substance behind the story turning to return to growth. And I think Steve's setup uh, segment appropriately uh, mentioned that we're going to have four quarters of declining revenue. That's the pressure point. Can Apple return to growth? The growth relative to the multiple, it is uh, a similar topic to is Tesla uh, a car company or is it a tech company? In this case, is Apple a consumer device company or is it a tech company? I think it is both, but the consumer device attributes, we saw them on stage today and I think they garner a higher multiple, more like a Coke, a Procter Gamble, we've talked a lot about that. So, Melissa, I think the, the most important piece today was there was enough substance in this phone to drive these this large 400 million upgrades for a pool of 400 million upgrades and i think we're going to see apple return to growth and i expect the stock to move higher as that plays out so gene um it's dan and and, and again i appreciate all that you know the stock from its lows in january gained a trillion dollars in market cap while there was basically quarter over quarter on a, you know not growing right so so we can say that whatever the rosy outlook is about the return to growth it's been discounted in the stock price for the better part of this year does that make some sense and so let's just say that china does slow down and china has been really good for them over the last couple of years won't that be something that that should maybe the stock should be put in the penalty box for a little bit and when i'm talking about penalty box i'm talking another 10 percent down to 160 and take a, a few turns off this thing and you know what I mean and it seems a lot more reasonable given the unknowns that we have about the story and the growth prospects going forward especially when you consider how incremental really everything and I know you're geeked up about spatial computing and all that sort of thing but that we can all agree that that's a back half 2024 2025 thing so uh, this could have a 10 percent pullback and I think that can be consistent with the stock going higher into next year this stock has proven to have those kind of pullbacks and I think it's appropriate the conversation to talk about China 
I think the China conversation also needs to include the India conversation. There are equal number of people. The the GDP per capita in India is a lot less than China, five and a half times less, and so that needs to be factored in. But that's something that is going to become a bigger part that will be an offset to uh, China. I think uh, Apple is getting close to the top of China as a percentage of the revenue. It's 20%, maybe it gets to 22 but we're going to need to start to see India come on. And at the end of the day, what all this comes down to, we talk about the geopolitical, can Apple make products that get people excited? And I would just want to mention one feature here that was not anticipated. Our Andrew Murphy from Deepwater did expect this to come out, but they added spatial uh, camera to the pro model for photos and video. Spatial video is a killer app when it comes to Vision Pro, and it is the biggest upgrade to a camera. And Guy, I hear you when you say that uh, it's sad that people get so excited about cameras. They are. Uh, this is a big deal. It's going to change how people recall memories. Sounds crazy. Once you experience it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that is ultimately what matters more what? to me on this uh, Apple investment case is can they continue to innovate? And they're doing that. The, the crazy thing, Gene, is that Guy was making all these quiz, quizzical faces silently when you said, I hear you, Guy. <laughs> so it was almost <laughs> like you had your little spy cam here in the studio. Um, but the one last question I wanted to ask you, Gene, is what data point about the consumer will get you to rethink the assumptions you have about people buying the phone? I mean, what will it take for you to say, you know what, maybe consumers are paying too much for oil because it's up 40% since May. Maybe consumers uh, are, are pulling back on, you know, given what we're hearing from restoration hardware and some other Chewy and some other retailers. Maybe they're spending a yeah, thousand bucks on weight loss drugs every month and not going to buy the iPhone. I mean, what, what data point makes you pause? Well, there could be a pause in sales. And uh, I think all these data points you talked about can cause iPhone to miss in a quarter. I think that can, that can I think we're going to see a return to growth. There can be a miss in the next year for all the things you talk about. But iPhone's been gaining share, gaining share in some of the toughest markets. In South Korea, the home of Samsung, they've gained material market share in the last three years. And I think, and uh, Dan talked about the gain, market share gains in China. That to me is what's most important, is are they gaining share? And the reason why, when you buy one Apple device, you fall in love, you get another Apple device. And I think that, uh, so I'm, I don't want to be dismissive of these negative data points. It can cause that 10% step down that uh, Dan was talking about in the stock. But ultimately, what's most important is their devices are becoming more indispensable, like consumer products for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's evidence in market share. Gene, always great to speak with you. Thanks. Gene Munster, Deepwater. Thank you. So what's the right valuation here? I don't think what Gene said and what we said is it's that much different. I mean, Gene's got a long-term view of the stock that's going higher. He's going to be wind up being right. He also said there's, from here, you can see a 10% move, which I can do that math, gets you to 160, which is the level that Dan talked about. And go back over the last five or six years, we've said this 100 times. It's not like the stock just goes from lower left to upper right. It actually does pull back over time. And given everything we've talked about, this is a perfect time for that to happen. If the consumer weakens, is this defensive, Rebecca? I, I think that's the question I've been sitting here playing with in my mind while listening to the conversation. If we have a slower consumer going into 2024, is this a defensive stock because of organic growth over the long term, or is this a consumer stock? And, and it may end up being in the middle. But I do think that the, the track record over the last decade of tech has colored people's view on how much tech to have in an allocation. So it's hard for me to see people going severely underweight this sector, even with that consumer element. So I, I could see a pullback, but I think it would probably be limited. 
There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Feeling congested? You may want to think twice about which medicine you're grabbing off the shelf. The drugs that just don't work and the impact on the companies behind them. Next. Plus, winter is coming for office real estate. At least that's the forecast from our next guest. How you should navigate the chill ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Regional banks rebounding today. The KRE ETF erasing yesterday's losses. The rally fueled by moves in Zions, PNC, and Key Corp as the heads of global regional banks meet at the Barclays Global Financials Conference to discuss the future of the industry. Do these look any different than they did yesterday, Guy? I don't know what happened today. I was trying to figure out why banks were rallying the way they were. Maybe, again, some rotation out of tech into potentially energy and banks, but no news that I saw. And banks were no better today than they were yesterday. I still think banks are challenged. So if you're long them, I think today was an opportunity to take some money off the table. Well, office-based stocks rallying in the months after the regional bank crisis, but a major chill may be in the air. Activist investor Jonathan Litt has been shorting this group. He's a chief investment officer at Land and Buildings. Jonathan, great to have you back great. with Thank us. You. Um, you know, you thought after Labor Day maybe there would be a push to back to office. Have we seen any of that in the data so far? No data is confirming that. You uh -huh. see it in the headlines, but we just got the Castle data for last week. We look at the cell phone data. There's no evidence that we have more people back in the office. Okay. Um, so before you came to us with a short on Alexandria Realty, yeah. ARE, um, are you still short that name? And, and what are you seeing there? Because you were citing specifically the cell phone data that you were tracking within the buildings and how long people were actually there. Right. And it's going to be very challenged for a long time, the office lab space. Uh, and we don't, we don't see it changing anytime soon. In fact, for the whole office space, it's going to be challenging. But for them in particular, they're expensive stock. Uh, they have very little leasing activity. They have a lot of space. They're trying to get let, uh, and they're overvalued. And we think it's going to be quite a challenge. Are there any new shorts that you put on in the office space? In other words, has, has anything gone to the point where it looks worse? Maybe they have debt repayments due with a closer deadline versus five months ago. When we were here last, we, it was pretty washed out. We said there wasn't much market cap left in the space. Um, Alexandria is really the best one uh, today. A lot of the stocks have run and rallied off the bottom, but we think uh, they're going to retest some of the lows uh, in the coming uh, months. And I'd ask the question a little differently, just subsector, though. In other words, in terms of some of the commercial corners of the place. You know, I mean, look at the insurance world. Think about what's going on some of there and some of the some of the places where liabilities and the dynamics in the core business are changing so much. Is 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 that illuminating anything different? What, in the office space? Yes. Or, um, well, look, we talked about return to office. It's not about return to office anymore. It's about financing. Uh, we have 400 billion coming due. Uh, over the next several years. Um, we cited Newmark, says they're 80% LTV. You can't get 80% LTV loans. So yeah. there's going to be a cold winter for office as we get through this refinancing wave. Stocks are trading at a 10 cap rate. That might look cheap by the time this is done, 
uh, and they might, uh, sorry, they might look expensive. They might get even cheaper uh, as we roll through this. How big a deal with that is the Fed's path? So we have about 100 basis points of easing priced in the markets for next year. If we don't get that, if we get half of that, of all the factors that matter here with all that debt coming due that needs to be refinanced, how big a role does the Fed play, or is it not a big deal? I mean, for the Fed to solve the problem, rates would have to go back to where we, you know, where they started raising. Uh, because you have the um, work-from-home phenomenon coupled with uh, the high LTVs, and I just don't see an easy way out. When we say $400 billion in loans due from now till year-end 2025, how does that play out? How, how do you dissect that data? Are there sectors that are more vulnerable than others? Are there areas, locations, cities? So that's just office. I mean, San Francisco okay. is going to be very difficult. New York's going to be difficult. People are going to give the keys back. It's going to be the easiest path. About half of that is with banks. Uh, the other half is with debt funds, CMBS, uh, insurance companies. Some of those have written it down. Some need to write it down. Um, that won't impact the banking industry. There's $200 billion that will. Uh, and I think that's going to be digestible. That's not going to go to zero. That'll go down some amount. Uh, we, we talked to, we didn't talk, we had a clip from Jamie Dimon talking about how banks were not investable, in his opinion. I'm not asking to pick stocks, but what do you think of the banking sector right now, given everything that you like, look at through your lens? I'm, I'm not really a pro. I would be uh, speculating. But you watch it. I do watch it. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't know the balance sheets well enough. Uh, to talk about which banks might be at risk from this. I clearly read the papers and see what people are speculating on, but I'm going to stay in my wheelhouse. But, you know, I would say, you know, there's a lot of press on office and how bad yeah. real estate's going to be, and they just paint it with a broad brush. If you're looking for distressed real estate, which investors are, the best place is in the public markets. You know, private equity firm after private equity firm that I talk to, they can't find distress in real estate. If you want to own single family for rent, warehouses, uh, senior housing, you could get it on sale in the public market. So it's important to distinguish between office, which is going to be very challenged, and other sectors that are in really good shape and are in very investable. We had two large M&A transactions uh, about three weeks ago in the REIT space. Huge premiums to where the stocks were trading. I think that's going to continue. As capital comes back, these private equity guys have money to put out, and they're going to take these companies private. Last question. What's your highest conviction long in your portfolio? Highest conviction long today would be Ventas. Okay. Uh, it's a senior housing REIT. Uh, trades uh, at about a six and a half cap. It's closest competitors to four and a half. It's a bit broken right now. Uh, we are looking to get some change done at the board level. Uh, and we think if they can um, make better decisions on capital allocation, run the portfolio better, the stock should be a home run. The senior housing business, let me just say, is probably the strongest real estate sector today uh, with the elderly moving into these facilities. Jonathan, great to see you. Thank great. you for coming by. Jonathan Thank you. Litt. ARE is a short. So, and Jonathan knows this. January of 07, it topped out at 108 and changed. Stock closed at 111. So, we're at huge support levels here. Through that 108 level, things get dicey. I think they report in the middle of October. Right. Coming up, cloud carnage. Oracle shares suffering their worst day in 21 years after a rough earnings print. We'll tell you what options traders see in the company's future. Plus, the clock is ticking as union leaders and auto manufacturers try to avoid a work stoppage. Will they strike a deal or strike out? We'll take you inside the latest developments. More Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Carnage in the cloud. Oracle shares falling more than 13 percent today, their worst day since 2002 after last night's disappointing earnings numbers. The company missing revenue expectations, issuing light guidance for the coming quarter. The move sending shares of other cloud companies lower. MongoDB, Asana, Zscaler among the biggest drags in the space. Should we extrapolate, Dan, do you think? Um, I, I think we've been talking about the deceleration. Uh, you know, so some of these companies in the cloud, the hyperscalers place, um, this excitement around, um, you know, AI and what that means for demand for those products. I mean, Oracle was telling a good story as the number four or five player in the space. And when you see the sort of deceleration that they gave, and we were talking about it as it came last night, relative to the expectations, relative to where the stock was, relative to its valuation, I mean, does it deserve to be down 13, 14 percent? I can't tell you, but I don't think it deserved to be up 55 or 60 percent on the year heading into the print. So um, to me, I think there's probably a level that it makes sense for this one, because again, I just think we pulled forward a lot of excitement about these trends. They're going to be around for a while here, people. So you don't have to just buy on the first day down, I guess. Got two upgrades going into the, in the days leading yeah. up to this print. Yeah. So this is the why I'd answer your question. If a name with a valuation that is reasonable, basically a market multiple with visibility, 77% of the revenue now, highly visible, recurring revenue, if that can go 13.5% lower off a print like this, what does it mean for valuations like Salesforce and some of the other names who trade it two times, three times turns? If a stock like this can get taken out to the woodshed, a lot of other stocks can as well. I just think that the expectations ran too far ahead of what's also a seasonally tough quarter for them. And, you know, double-digit EPS, uh, first of all, the transformation at Oracle, how they've gotten here, um, was rewarded in the stock. It it was almost a 100% move uh, on a 12-month. So I I, kind of poo-pooed it last night. I didn't think it was going to react like this today. I'm going to stand by and say I think this is something you're picking up on weakness. And this is there's probably a little more weakness to (coughs) go. Excuse me. Options trader for C-losses in Oracle's future. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so this one traded more than nine times its average daily volume. It was one of the top five busiest single stock options that we saw today. The stock moved significantly more than about the seven and a half bucks that the options market had been implying it would move after earnings. The busiest contract today were the SEP 110 puts that expire at the end of this week. About 36,000 of those traded for a dollar 34 contract or so, although most of those traded before 2 p.m., the stock actually did trade a little bit lower into the close, and so those closed around 175 or so. Buyers of those obviously betting that this weakness could persist through the end of the week. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, down to the wire, Detroit automakers scrambling to avoid a strike ahead of Thursday night contract expiration. But can the big three in the UAW see eye to eye? We'll debate that straight ahead. And stay tuned to Mad Money. Jim's chatting exclusively with Mark Benioff, speaking of cloud, CEO of Salesforce. Catch a full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Less than three days remaining until contracts between the UAW and big three Detroit automakers expire. And despite some movement on both sides, threat of a strike still looms large. Phil Abos on the fast line with the very latest. Phil. Melissa, there is a flurry of activity between the big three automakers and the United Auto Workers. Here's the latest on where talks stand a little over 48 hours until their expiration at 11.59 Thursday night. There are active talks taking place. So what I mean by that is that there are meetings, multiple meetings that are happening between the bargaining committees, between Ford, GM, and Stellantis, and the United Auto Workers. It's not as though they're exchanging one proposal and then there's another proposal several hours later. They're in active talks with each other. The biggest movement is going to happen with wages. We're already seeing that with the UAW coming off of their 40% demand, uh, coming down into the mid-30%. 
Most people I've talked with think that we're ultimately going to see an agreement somewhere between 20 and 25 percent in terms of the percentage raise that is ultimately agreed upon between the UAW and the uh, auto workers. But we'll get more details tomorrow night from the president of the UAW, Sean Fain, when he holds another one of his Facebook live sessions. That's going to take place at 5 p.m. tomorrow night. As you take a look at how many workers are under a UAW contract for Ford, GM, and Stellantis, it totals to about 150,000. And as you look at the shares of the automakers, they have been trending down over the last several months, but I think they pretty much bottomed out. There are more than a few analysts who have said, look, you're close to the bottom here. Even if there is a strike and there may be some pressure on these stocks, you're close to where we think there's going to be a bottom here. And that's why we saw a little bit of an uptick in shares of GM, Ford, and Stellantis today. Melissa? Phil, how should we think about whether, you know, if there is a work stoppage, even for a day or two, what the economic impact is and how quickly those plants can get back up and running once again? A day or two, extremely limited. If it's a week, it's still not that great. You really don't see a major impact until you stretch this out until maybe a four-week, five-week. The real impact would come if you see a strike that stretches out eight, nine, ten weeks. That's when you would start to see real damage uh, in terms of the cost to the automakers. All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau with the latest developments there. Uh, the stocks today told us that they think that there is no work stoppage. Well, the stocks, the stocks have been pricing in something for a while. And as we've said, getting the clarity, getting through this, I mean, it, the, the reality of the bid ask on the labor costs between what the OEMs are offering and what the union wants is somewhere between 500 million and about 3 billion uh, for 24. Um, so this is a pretty, pretty wide bid ask. Um, but, but again, this uncertainty, if you look at GM, I mean, down to 32 bucks, looks like you, you know, it seems like you've got a very strong floor here. And let's hope so, because this is a stock that's done nothing for the last two years. Um, what's not good for the automakers, and there's a lot of reasons why auto stocks are trading here, but there's no question this strike's been a hangover for the last six to eight weeks, is, is that used car prices have gone down for 12 straight months. Um, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's a dynamic that I think people are not really, un, you know, people talk about the age of the fleet that's on the road and how people need to definitely buy a new car and this and that. But used car prices have been very supportive in the past, and this correlation is not good. It's interesting. We, don't spend enough, we talk about auto makers all the time. We probably should spend more time talking about some of the auto parts, like a Vision, for example, electronics company. That stock, I think, a few months ago, probably in March, all-time high, 170. It's pulled back a little bit. But you look at a name where GM is basically fat over the last five years. This stock, lower left to upper right, reasonable valuation, and they're probably in the sweet spot. So everybody looks at automakers, look at the parts. How do you think about all of these threatened strikes and negotiations when it comes to wage pressures? I mean, union membership in the United States has been on a downtrend for the last several decades. And what we're seeing today gets a lot of headlines and attention, but we're not actually seeing a big uptick in union membership. So that, as a share of the economy, how much it moves the needle is still pretty small. At the same time, to me, the biggest illustration is the frustration of the average American household today. You know, the unemployment rate's incredibly low. Wages are growing above 5% annually, according to the Atlanta Fed. And yet consumer confidence is still kind of meh at best. And, and so I think people fighting to get wage increase so they can have that real purchasing power, it's just an ongoing battle right now. And I think that's going to be a headwind um, right. as we go forward. Up next, final trades.
Do not miss the Delivering Alpha Investor Summit on September 28th in New York City, where Rebecca Patterson will be speaking on economic education. Visit cnbceventscom slash Delivering Alpha to register. Meantime, a news alert here on NFL ratings. Last night's game between the Jets and the Bills drew in 22.6 million viewers. That's a record for an ESPN Monday night football broadcast that is up 14 percent from last year. Wow. That was some game. Was it? Great game. Uh, a lot of side plots, sad stuff for the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's just awful. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Rebecca Patterson. Sure. I'm going to be long oil. XLE. Supply's got a floor, even if demand moderates somewhat. Tim Seymour. Yeah, it's been sad stuff in China. It's been relatively sad of late for Alibaba after a rally. I think 88's the bottom end of that uptrend, and I, I think it's time to nibble again. Dan. Uh, yeah, Intel had a really epic one-month run at its highs this morning. It was up 25% in a month. I would not be chasing Intel. Shout out to Betty Patterson, Betty? Largo, Florida. Yeah. I just doxed her or daxed and her. And the Sundowners Club. But she believes in the VIX, too, and the Sundowners the, Club. The vapor of not the volatility Vox. index. <laughs> exactly. VIX vapor of. stock uh, show. PSX, Melissa Lee. Thank you for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 